Masechet Yevamot Daf Samech Daled, a fantastic mix of halacha and agada today. And we begin with the Mishnah. Nasa isha v'shaha ima aser shanim v'lo yaleda eno rashai lebatel. If a man is married to a woman and is wait, waits for 10 years and still they do not have a child, he is not allowed to put off and neglect the mitzvah of having children. Uh, instead, he must divorce her and marry another woman so that he can have, fulfill Peru Urvu. Um, if, he, if and when he does divorce her, she is permitted to marry somebody else because who said that she is the infertile one? Maybe he's the one that has an infertility problem. So she'll go marry someone else and maybe she'll be able to have children with the second man. We don't say that, um, we don't assume that uh, she is the, the source of the infertility. And then if she's with that second man, the second man can be with her for 10 years to wait. Sometimes doesn't the, people don't conceive right away. It may take time. And in all these cases, um, if the woman has a miscarriage, then that starts the count again, uh, the 10 years, because, uh, you know, now that that happens, okay, so, you know, it's possible she can get pregnant, uh, didn't work that time, but now you have an extension of 10 years from the miscarriage before one would have to go and find another uh, uh, another wife. <clears throat> All right, that's the Mishnah. Tenora bana nasa isha v'shaha ima aeser shanim v'lo yalda. Yosivi ten kituba Hashem malo zachali banot bimena. A baraita that supports the Mishnah says if a man is married to a woman and they wait ten years and they still cannot conceive a child, um, he must divorce her and pay the kituba. The idea here is that. If we know for sure it's uh, she has the infertility problem, then he would not have to pay the kituva. He this was part of the deal. He wanted to have children with her, so so uh, this is kind of like a mekach taut, and he, she doesn't get it. Um, but if it's his, uh, he has the infertility problem, then he does have to pay the kituva. She is totally fine, and so in this case, we don't know uh, who who, uh, who has the fertility problem, and therefore um, he does have to pay the kitubah because maybe he is the one that did not merit to have children with her. Maybe it was some sin problem that he did, moral or physical uh, a problem that's preventing him from having the child, and therefore it's not her, pro- it's not her fault, she deserves the kitubah. This idea that 10 years is the maximum uh and then after that uh the maximum that we wait to have a to conceive a child is there's no proof for this from the torah but there is a hint in the story um but regarding avraham um avraham number one he lived in uh um in uh, uh, uh and then he moved to israel and uh, with sarai so he was married to sarai even before he moved um, but once he moved, that ten, that started a clock ten years. Actually, he went to Mitzrayim in the meantime. So this may may we start counting from uh, after he came back from Mitzrayim. Point is, this pasuk says after ten years of dwelling in Eretz Canaan, only then uh, Abraham took Hagar and had a child with her upon Sarai's uh, suggestion. So you see that he waited 10 years uh, to try to conceive with Sarai. When that didn't work, only after 10 years, then he took another wife. 
So that's what we get to 10 years. We learned something else from that. We also learned that anytime they are dwelling outside of the land of Israel does not count in the 10 years. So in other words, this whole halacha, that you wait 10 years and then you have to find another wife, that only applies in the land of Israel. There's something really interesting here, maybe the kind of beracha of the land of Israel that uh, leads to fruitfulness. Uh, maybe the idea that peru urvu, that very mitzvah, is inherently connected with the land of Israel. Uh, maybe it's mishanem akom, mishanem azal, when you move to a new place, then uh, you get better luck. Okay, whatever it is, um, the time that Abraham and Sarai spent before they came to Israel and out in, in Egypt, that does not count within the 10 years. And we learn a more general rule from this, that if a man is sick or the wife is sick or, um, uh, or both of them are, or uh, one of them, uh, is uh, is in jail uh, in all whatever case, and the, there's an outside reason that we can attribute to the to why they cannot have a child. All right, if one of them was in jail, Tosefta here adds, if one was away on a trip, so they couldn't possibly be together to conceive. So if we know a specific reason why, then that doesn't count either, because that doesn't show that they have an infertility problem. They just um, were unable because of disease or because of physical separation to not have a child. So you only start counting from when it is possible. And so being outside the land of Israel is um, somehow equated uh, with, uh, with uh, a, a separate reason uh, why maybe the merit of being in Israel is what will um, uh, allow the couple to have a child. Rav asks, hold on, if you're looking for a biblical precedent, precedent we can learn from Yitzchak. Uh, so it says Yitzchak was 40 years old when he married Rivka. And there also there was fertility problems. And it was not until 20 years later that Yitzchak and Rivka had um, their twin boys. Uh, so you see that he waited 20 years. So we, can, we should learn from here that the, um, the, that the maximum uh, amount to wait is not 10 years, but maybe 20 years. All right, good question. Uh, the answer is, No, in that case, we know that Yitzchak was the one that had the infertility issue. Pasuk doesn't say anything about this. We're going to derive this in uh, a few minutes. Um, but so because it was him, therefore, there's no point in him taking another wife because he is not fertile. So he's going to be infertile with the second wife also. That's why he was able to remain married to Yitzchak. All right. So now that we um, uh, explain that pasuk away, we go back to Avraham. We're going to see in a minute that Avraham, uh, well, also there's a tradition that he was the one that was infertile. Um, and so then for we couldn't learn from Abraham either that there's 10 years because maybe it's less. And Abraham stayed with Sarai only because he knew that he, he himself was infertile. So there would be no point in taking someone else. So you know what? Forget this line of reasoning. We say um, that's not the reason that we're rejecting the Pasuk from, uh, from Yitzhak. Not because Abraham or and or Yitzhak are infertile. Forget that. Rather, we there's a different reason altogether why the why the Pesukim and Bereshit go out of their way to tell us the dates of Yitzchak, of, um, yeah, of, of Yitzchak 
that he was uh, 40 years old and then 60 years old. It wasn't to teach us this law for something else. How do we know? In a different context, um, Rabbi Chia asks, why does the Torah tell us the dates of Yishmael at the time of his death? Why do we care? He's not, he's not, the, uh, he's not the one that's going to continue the Berit. Why does it matter how old he was? And the answer there is that, no, the Torah only gives the dates of Yishmael to help you calculate the key important dates during Yaakov's life. That's all, um, but not because of his, of his own life. So that's why they're there. Uh, so the point here is that um, there are certain dates that are given because we need to know them for other reasons. So to, so too here with Yitzchak, uh, the Torah gives us these dates regarding Yitzchak got married and when he had a child and then therefore when Yaakov was born in order so that we can calculate and correlate key dates in the life of Yitzchak and the life of Yaakov. That's why these dates are there and not, not to teach us anything about uh, the laws of infertility. Okay, Amar Yitzchak. Yitzchak, so we're back, so that, therefore we can come back to the proof from Avraham Avinu. Yes, that is in fact at least a hint, if not a proof. Amar Yitzchak, Yitzchak Avinu, I like how Rabbi Yitzchak is teaching us something about Yitzchak. Akur Haya, and here's what we just mentioned, that in fact Yitzchak, he had, he had, he was uh, sterile, sterile. Since the Basuk says that uh, Yitzchak prayed um, to Hashem, uh, so uh, it doesn't say regarding his wife, and if it said alishto, that would mean that his wife is the, is, is infertile. But it doesn't say that. It says lenochach, meaning corresponding to. Corresponding to teaches us that both Yitzchak and Rivka both were infertile. And that's why he was praying on behalf of both of them. Both of, they were each praying on behalf of both of them. If that's, if that's true, then in the continuation where it says that Hashem responded and answered him, it should have said, not he, Hashem uh, uh, accepted the prayer of Yitzchak, but rather it should say Hashem responded for, on behalf of both of them, if in fact both of them were infertile. So the answer is the answer is because yes, even though both Yitzchak and Rivka were praying together, corresponding to each other, and they were both praying on behalf of themselves and each other. Yes, but whose prayer was primarily answered? It was it was Yitzchak's, not Rivka's, because Yitzchak was a Sadiq, the son of a Sadiq, son of Abraham. Whereas Rivka, although she was a Sadeket, she was the daughter of Laban, and therefore she did not have the merit of her of of the, her father behind her. And so that's why it says Vayatir law. But in fact, both Yitzchak and Rivka were infertile. Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, akurim. Why? How come so many of the four forefathers here? It says um, four mothers too, but based on what we just said, forefathers as well. Uh, why were so many of them infertile? Because God loves the prayers of the righteous people, and so therefore He made them infertile, so that they would be distressed and they would 
cry out and pray before God, and God would love their prayer. Um, okay. And uh, further up, following on that, how come the prayers of the of, of the righteous people are like an ayater? Since it says the unusual verb vayater to entreat happens to be the same word as an etid, a pitchfork, as you see here, um, this farmer um, gathering up hay and flipping it over with a pitchfork because the prayers of Sadiqim act like a pitchfork and they, just like a pitchfork, moves the grain from one place to another. So to the prayers of righteous people, um, move, turn over the attributes of God from anger to mercy. That's how powerful they are. And so uh, they were, uh, the, the Avot were um, uh, in, uh, inflicted with infertility problems so that they would be able to pray. Okay, I think the, we have to explain a little further that it's not that, you know, God just loves being prayed to and, be, and, and people begging things of him, uh, but rather there is a benefit to the human beings themselves. Uh, when something comes easy, you don't appreciate it as much as when it's, uh, it's difficult and, 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 uh, and, and you recognize that this is a, a great kindness, a great miracle from God's mercy. And so that, um, that feeling of dependence and humility and gratitude is enhanced when uh, someone something is withheld and you have to pray for it uh, also because they are the avot and the mahot of the of the nation uh, these um, i think their struggles represent uh, the kashot the many times in the future of the jewish nation when uh, it was not clear how would we have continuity how would we go on it seemed that the nation itself in exile um, in different problems was infertile and would not be able to have continuity with the next generation. And so that may be another explanation of Ma'aseh Siman Lebanim to always have hope and faith uh, and, and cry out in prayer because prayer is good even when things look bleak. All right, Amar Rabbi Ameh, Abraham Vesara, Tum Tumin Ayushin Amar Habi to El Sur, Abraham and Sarai were both born as tumtumin, meaning someone whose uh, sexual organs are concealed over by a membrane and cannot tell what uh, gender they are. And we learn this from Pasuk and Yeshaya, that she is telling the people, you know, don't lose faith and, 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 and don't lose hope. You should go look back at the rock from which you were hewn from the, and look back to the hole of a pit from which you were dug. And that is an, a, 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 an analogy to looking back to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, so the point of Yeshaya is, you know, don't be, uh, don't be upset. The point that I just said, right? Don't, uh, don't lack, lack faith. Look at Abraham and Sarai, how they were barren for a long time, and then they have children. And even though they were only two people, they gave birth to many, many nations, right? So too, um, even if we are in exile and dwindling and have no, no, no hope, right? We look back and we are inspired by Abraham and Sarai. 
Now, Yeshaya, in saying that, uses an, an analogy of a stone cutter, someone who's hewing stone out of a rock, and that's your source, right? What, where does this come from? It comes from the source back in the uh, in, in the quarry uh, from, from which you got uh, some precious rock. So the Midrash on this says, oh, we're going to compare Avram and Sarai, what Hashem, uh, how Hashem helped them to a stonecutter or a sculptor. And so the point is that Avram and Sarai in their privates were smoothed over and didn't have uh, an, any apparent gender until Hashem came and hewn uh, 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 um, and uh, carved out for Avraham, a male uh, a member, and for uh, Sarai, um, a, a, a hole, a pit, um, a female uh, genitalia. And then after that, they went from being tumtum to being fer, fer, uh, uh, fertile. Uh, so this is uh, really fascinating. Um, Midrash and uh, this uh, whole idea that he, each of the avot animahot has uh, had these uh, handicaps and deformities is actually quite inspiring uh, today when so many people have various uh, different types of handicaps and deformities. Uh, this is a nice source to say um, even our greatest uh, uh, patriarchs and matriarchs had these same problems. And in fact, that is in many ways what made them great in the first place. Uh, so furthermore, not only was she, she tumtum and she was infertile, she actually was ailonit, meaning um, a woman who uh, never developed uh, and therefore cannot cannot possibly have children. Uh, noting the fact that it says two things, akara, she's infertile, and en lavalad, and she has no child. Why you have to add en lavalad? So we learn from here that she did not even have a womb, right? So like zero possibility, one just a small, a major uh, physiological problem that she had, and nevertheless, uh, she was able to overcome it. Okay, now back to the halacha of the Mishnah that says you need uh, 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 a man sh- uh, should wait 10 years, but after that, then he has to find another wife. That is only true, Rav teaches us, in the early generations. Back in those times, they lived a very long time. People lived past 140 plus years. So then, in terms of ratio, it made sense. Okay, you have 10 years, you can wait. But in later generations, where an average uh, lifespan, according to David Amelech in Tehilim, is 70 years, right? So generally 70 years. So you can't wait uh, 10 years before conceiving by that time person's uh, 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 a large part of their life will be gone so for that all early generations when they lived long they could wait 10 years but nowadays two and a half years why two and a half years three periods of pregnancy pregnancy nine months but we'll add another month for uh, con- for conceiving before that so 10 times three is 30 that's 
30 months, that's two and a half years. In other words, try for three cycles. Um, and uh, if after three strikes, that's it, then you're out. And um, then uh, he needs to try with a different wife. Rabba says, no, not two and a half years, three years. Why three years? Because if each year is a time of visitation or remembrance. On Rosh Hashanah, a time of new beginnings, the Midrash calculates and says that's when Sarah, Rachel, and Chana, all the uh, infertile matriarchs, they were all, were all remembered. They were visited by God and then they were able to get pregnant on those dates. So therefore, uh, should we, we should wait three full years and not two and a half, so that um, we have a chance that um, this uh, woman, if uh, if she's the one that's infertile, so she will be able to be remembered, be visited, and uh, conceive. However, says no. He rejects these not two and a half years, not three years. Rather, he supports the Mishnah ten years. After all, who composed the Mishnah? It was Rabbi Udanasi. No, it says the word taken. It doesn't say katav. Uh, he, he didn't write it. He didn't write it down because it was oral. He also didn't compose it uh, all uh, from from nothing, but rather taken. He uh, established uh, its authority, established the uh, correct and proper text of it, and he established its authority that this Mishnah, in other words, he uh, uh, canonized the Mishnah. Okay, who did that? It was Rabbi Udanasi. And when did the lifespans of people diminish? It was back in the time of David HaMelech, right? In Tehilim, the average lifespan is 70 years. So Rabbi Udanasi is living way after 1200 years after David Melech, so we have to, we should apply the law, the law of the Mishnah, which is the law that that applied even then to the shorter, uh, regular lifespans that we have today. And so, therefore, the Mishnah is authoritative. And um, uh, even though we learn from Abraham a hint that of ten years, and yeah, if you take that as the source, you could say, "Oh, Abraham lived a much longer life." Uh, compared to us, but remember that source from Abraham was only a hint, and and the Buddha Nasi, you know, uh, assume uh, knew that pasuk, and nevertheless said ten years, and that's the law for now at regular time. Now regarding that Braita that we said that he has to pay after 10 years, if they don't conceive, he has to pay the Ketuvah because maybe he's the one that has that did not merit to have a child with her, and maybe he is the is, he has the infertility problem. Uh, okay, now we ask, wait a second, but maybe she's the one did not that did not merit, and she's the one. So let her let her prove uh, otherwise. Uh, otherwise, hamosi mechavero alav hadayah. So we say, ihi la mi ansha. No, the woman is not commanded in pruvu the mitzvah pruvu is upon the man and not not the, not the wife and therefore um if the if, if someone would be deserving 
to uh, uh, of a punishment of not having a merit of fulfilling the mitzvah it would be the man the husband and therefore we assume without knowing any without knowing any any uh, further information we assume that the uh, the husband is the source of the infertility problem and not her and therefore um, he has to pay her the ketubah good Ini, hold on. Is this true? Here we have a story about the rabbis who came to the Abba Barzavda. And they said, look, you're married for 10 years and you don't have a child, so you should go marry another wife and have a child. And Rabbi Abba responded to them, if I am meritorious, then I'll have a child from my first wife. And so what's the difference? It's not going to help if I go and marry a second wife. What we see from here is a challenge to our very Mishnah. As said, after 10 years, one must go and find another wife. And here we have Rabbi Abba who says, no, it's based on merit. And therefore, um, I may as well stay married to this one. And so uh, we answer, No, in this case, Rabbi Abba was only pushing off the rabbis with a simple answer uh, because he knew that it was he, he was the one that was sterile and therefore him marrying another woman, it was not going to help. And so that's why um, he gave this answer that, oh no, it's just based on merit and I, I could stay with my first wife because he knew that about himself. But in fact, in a case where we don't know for sure uh, who is the one that has the infertility uh, problem, uh, then yes, you would have to go and find a second wife. All right, now, <clears throat> why was he sterile and how did he know that? What happened to him? He became uh, sterile on account of the long lectures that that Ravuna used to give, as we saw on the previous staff. And now we see even more rabbis that had the same situation. Rabbi Achelbo, Rav Sheshat, that's what we saw yesterday. So these three other sages uh, also uh, became impotent because they uh, sat in the long lectures of Rav Huna. Rav Ahabar Yaakov Ahadete Suschinta Taliuhu Be'arza Debe Rav Unfak Mine Kehusa Yarka. Rav Yaakov, however, even though he had a similar uh, uh, situation and problem, uh, nevertheless, this disease that he had, um, they was uh, he resolved. They he were, they suspended him from a cedar column in the middle of a, stu- a study hall, and out of him some substance that was green as a leaf emerged, and then he was healed. That was something that was stopping him up, and so he was able to be healed from this uh, disease that is similar uh, to whatever these other uh, sages had. And it's not only these four sages above, but in fact, there were 60 elders they were all present and they all became impotent because they uh, attended Rav Huna's shiurim. Except for me, Rav Acha says, because um, of the, I followed the, the wisdom in Kohelis's wisdom preserves life. I was uh, able to find, figure out a way uh, around it, either by uh, doing the suspending trick 
um, uh, yeah, by, by doing this, he's the one that was suspended. So he was able to find a resolution, uh, but these other 60 sages did not. Okay, so just one word about this. The usual, com- usual explanation is that the shooting were very long and they had to go uh, to the bathroom, but they held it in out of respect. Uh, not to interrupt and uh, miss out on the shiur, and they became impotent because of that. Uh, problem with that is that, um, you know, the uh, Talmud elsewhere says one is not allowed to hold it in, knows the dangers of such things, and so um, it doesn't make sense that they would do this. And uh, furthermore, uh, the Talmud never says that it was on account of their length and the people not being able to go to, go to the bathroom. That is not mentioned in the text of the Talmud. Uh, so if I could offer a s- beginning of a suggestion, um, which is perhaps it's the, uh, the, the, the deep study of Torah itself, um, as we see in the famous story about Rabbi Yochanan who was bathing in Eshakish, who was at that time was a gladiator. And he saw Rabbi Yochanan and jumped into the, into the river to pursue him because he looked so beautiful. And uh, then uh, they had a conversation and he said, uh, Rabbi Yochanan said, uh, listen, um, uh, I have a sister who's more beautiful than me. And if you accept upon yourself to study Torah, I will give her to you in marriage. And he does, Rishakish agrees uh, to devote himself to Torah instead of being a gladiator. Okay, he had jumped across the river to get to Rabbi Yochanan, but now he wanted to jump back out of the river, but he was unable to return. The idea here is that um, that physical strength that he had, virility as a gladiator, now that he accepts upon himself the responsibility to study Torah, all that energy goes into his uh, intellectual, spiritual means, and then his physical strength is deprived. Uh, so this may be a hint of the idea that um, these lectures of Ravuna were so powerful, so intellectually and spiritually stimulating on a high level that um, it caused the, the students um, number one, maybe they had to stay very late and weren't with their wives. Maybe they studied many years and so weren't with their wives. Uh, or in general, some kind of correlation here, um, uh, and maybe on a more, more metaphorical level, between uh, physical strength and uh, spiritual, intellectual strength of studying Torah. Um, besides the fact that other stories about um, rabbis uh, going away to learn for a long time and either not having children or not bringing up their children because they're away and uh, they're therefore not uh, attending and teaching um, their children as much as they would if they were um, around and not studying Torah uh, for such lengths of time. Uh, so I think that this um, may be connected to that network of other agadot and relationships. Okay, Gersha Muteret. So Mishnah <coughs> said that if a, a woman um, is, gets divorced because the, the, he, she did not have a child with her husband for 10 years and he divorces her, she is permitted to go and, and marry another person because who knows, maybe she'll have better luck, maybe he was the one that was not fertile, or maybe just their chemistry literally didn't, didn't produce a child and so she'll marry someone else. So the Mishnah only um, mentions one more marriage. So we say, But if she's 10 years with man, uh, husband one, another 10 years with husband two, then that's it. Uh, she cannot move on to a third husband because after two times, we assume that's it, uh, that she is the one that's not fertile. And so we don't want to waste a uh, husband's time to be, being with her. 
after that. Okay, Matnitin Mane Rebihi, who was the author of this Mishnah? It must be the Biudanasi. Why the Tanya? Mala Hadishon Umecheni Umecheli Lotamodibi. We're comparing a wife who doesn't have children for ten years with a child, an infant who dies on account of getting a berit milah. They have some kind of a, a disease, a blood clotting issue. And so if um, a, 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 someone has a boy and does berit milah and it dies, and then he has a second boy, and or that one also dies, the third one, halacha is, do not give it a berit milah. It does not have to get a berit milah because it's too dangerous. And that's the opinion of Rabbi Udanasi. You see that Rabbi Udanasi says, only two times do you try, and that's it. Two strikes, and then you're out. And same thing, he would be the author of Amishnah that says a woman gets two chances to be married for 10 years, and that's it. There is no third chance. Even though there's another opinion, He's the one, he says, three strikes. Only after three strikes, then you're out. Right, the, even, the, even the third child uh, must be circumcised, and if that one dies too, then you know, okay, there's a, there's a, a repeated pattern here. It takes three to make a pattern, not two. So our Mishnah would follow the B. Okay, that makes sense. However, even though we just quoted one Baraita, there is another Baraita that has uh, the, same, uh, the same opinions, but the attributions are switched. And it's a B that is the one that says three times, and a Rashbag that says two times. So, uh, which of these two, but I thought, is the latest one? We assume the latest one is the one that fixed uh, the problem um, of the uh, wrong attributions that were in the other one. But between this Badaita and the opposite one, which one is the correct version? So let's see if we can figure that out. We have a case here um, that also about but this one is not about uh, children of the same parents, but rather uh, sisters, one sis, four sisters in, that lived in Sipori. One of them had a boy, did circumcision, and it died. The second sister had a boy, did circumcision, and it died. Then the third one had a boy, and it died. Then the fourth, they brought it to Rashbag, and he said, okay, don't do circumcision anymore. So this um, is a case of different, um, different parents. Okay, nevertheless, nevertheless, we see that Rashbag is here the one that says, you're allowed three times, three strikes, and only after that you're out, which would support this version of the Braita here that um, Rashbag is the one that, is, uh, the, that says three strikes and then you're out. Okay, so this looks like a good proof, except maybe it just happened to be in that case that they already did, they did bring Milah on three of the sons already, and the question was about the fourth. Uh, it just happened to be. But maybe if they brought the third one, Rashbag would also say that, oh, no, no, only, um, you know, don't even do bring Milah on the third one, had he been, had he been asked. So that just could be the case. It's not necessarily a proof. Uh, then we say, no, it is a proof. Because otherwise, why would a bring this story in the first place if it wasn't legally significant to say that he only said, no, don't circumcise the fourth child? That means he would have said, yes, circumcise the third child, right? If he would have said no to the third, then there's nothing 
He's not, this, this, then it's not an interesting story. Why would it be yeah, bother uh, telling it in the first place? So he says, actually, there is a reason. Maybe he wants to teach us that sisters also um, establish a presumption, even though they were from different mothers. And nevertheless, um, we follow, we, we say, well, if one of the sisters has this, this is a, a, a good proof that uh, the rabbis knew something about uh, hereditary diseases, that even though they are from different mothers, nevertheless, if the first one died, the second one's son died, then, so th- th- this story is teaching us that even if it's not the same mother for each one, even if it's different mothers, nevertheless, we have to uh, um, take that into account. So that's why he was saying the story. The story only teaches that even though each child is from different parents, uh, it's obviously it must be different fathers because they're all sisters, so it couldn't be the same father. Even though it's all different parents and they died because they are, the mothers are related, so this might be hereditary disease. And we do take that into account and exempt uh, uh, exempt after a series. But this Badaita does not teach us anything necessarily about the opinion of the Ban Shimon Ben Gamliel, and therefore we are left unresolved. We don't know which version of the Badaita is which. Um, okay. Um, based on this story, however, we do learn a different law. Now that we know that sisters establish a hazaka that there may be a disease that is carried in this entire family, and that's why each of their sons uh, died. Therefore, one also should not marry a woman who has uh, within her family epileptics or lepers or any other kind of hereditary disease. Um, because if you see that already two of the two members of the family or three members of the family, um, it, uh, uh, that, that's if it's three, right? If you have three members of the family all have this disease, and then um, you should not marry another of the a sister, a woman from that family, because there's a presumption that may she also may have that disease. Okay, my Havi Allah. Okay, back to our original question: Is it two strikes or three strikes? What is the halacha um, uh, regarding the um, uh, waiting, uh, waiting ten years and uh, related, and also Brit Milah? Ki atad avishak bar Yosef Amar Obada hava kamed Yochanan bekenishtat maon biyom kipurim shachaliot beshabat. In fact, there was such a case bef- that came before the Yochanan in his Bet Knesset in the city of Maon, and it was Yom Kippur and Shabbat. So that's a double whammy that you shouldn't, you, you would not be allowed to um, cause. Uh, a wound on such a day, if not that it was a valid brit milah. Um, and uh, there was such a case of sisters that came, and the first sister came, I guess they all had children on the very same day, or maybe on uh, other years, but it was, it was all Yom Kippur and Shabbat. He did the first circumcision, and the baby died. The second one, and the baby died, and the third one then came to the Biochanan. Maybe it was just the third one that, that, came, that happened on Yom Kippur of Shabbat. And they asked him, what should we do? And he said, go do the Brimila anyway. Um, you know, if the, that means there is a mitzvah to do that you can override Shabbat and Yom Kippur, 
And so you see that Abiyo Hanan followed the opinion that says three strikes and only after that you are out. Even the third, even the third baby, uh, we do not presume will, will have a genetic problem from these various sisters. Um, and so that's it. We have, we see it's three. Abaye told Rav Yitzchak, the one who transmitted this story to us, and he says, go and check that um, this is, go and check your source to make sure that you got the story exactly correctly, because you are permitting, this is a precedent that will permit in the future, not only in Isura, to do it to, to violate override Shabbat and or Yom Kippur to do a Brit Milah, but also danger of the third baby. This is a medical uh, situation uh, as well. So make sure that you got this right, and in the future we will uh, do should do Brit Milah even after two uh, after. Uh, two children die, that yes, we should still go ahead. It's not a chazaka after two, only after three. Okay. Samach ale Abaye. Now Abaye is the one here that was uh, skeptical and wanted Abisak to make sure. Nevertheless, Abaye himself followed the opinion that said only after three strikes. And he married uh, this uh, woman named Homa. Uh, um, it lists her, her, her lineage. This Homa, she had been married to a man, a man named Rehaba, uh, who was from Pumbedita. He died while being married to her. Uh, he, then she went and she married and that second husband also died and Abaye nevertheless went and married her. And you know what happened? Abaye also died while married to her. Okay, it doesn't say how long after how long they were married, but uh, he took his life into his own hands and followed the lenient ruling that he heard here from Rav Yitzhak, based on Rabbi Yochanan, and uh, he, um, he took his life into his own hands by doing that. Rava was astonished that his colleague Abaye uh, should follow this leniency, right? Is, uh, do, do, does someone, is there such a person that follows an actual case uh, himself uh, like this and puts himself in danger? Abaye himself was the one that had been skeptical, as we saw above, and he said in general that Avin he would trust something that Avin said. Yitzchak Sumaka La Bar Samcha, but Yitzchak the Red. This is a nickname for Yitzchak Bar Yosef. This one, who, uh, the one who told the story about Rabbi Yochanan. He said that this Yitzchak, he's not reliable. How, why? Avin Yeshno Bachazara. Yitzchak Sumaka No Bachazara. Avin, he would always go back and review what he learned, and he would go back and make sure to check if that story was correct. Did uh, Rabbi Yochanan change his mind? Did we get the right version? Yitzchak Sumaka, however, did not go back and review and double-check his rulings. That's what Abaye used to say. So it's really surprising that Abaye actually followed this. Furthermore, even if they, they see, he said that story regarding Brit Milah, that it's uh, only after the third strike, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you would apply that also to a case of marriage when you have this uh, dangerous wife. Um, maybe you would not apply it. In the case of Brit Milah, where it's a mitzvah, otherwise you can't do Brit Milah. So maybe in that case we'll say, oh, only after three. But with marriage, go marry somebody else. Why would you put yourself in danger? 
Um, maybe we wouldn't say it. Okay, we a- answered the second point. They said, in, in fact, we apply the same uh, rule to both cases. If a person was married to one, one woman and he died, and then she married a second when he died, so the third one, the third man, should not marry her. That's the opinion of Rabbi Uda Nasi. Rabbi says, no, she can get married three times, even to the third husband is fine. It's only after three strikes, then we say this is a dangerous uh, woman and the fourth should not marry her. Uh, okay, what we see here is that the same, very same machloket between the Rabbi and and Ashbag that applied to the previous cases applies here also. So, in fact, uh, if you follow the more lenient opinions after three strikes regarding Brimila, then you'll also follow the lenient opinion regarding marrying a dangerous woman. Okay, so that point uh, is rejected. Still surprising that uh, Abaya followed it, even though he was uh, sus- um, suspect of Rabbi Yitzhak's traditions. Okay, Bishlam Milah. Now let's get into the uh, the reason for it. Uh, we understand regarding there are some families that their blood is thin it doesn't clot well and then if you go and do a brit milah make a cut they will bleed and will not heal uh, so and, and makes sense that that would be a hereditary disease uh, as in fact um, it is um, whereas other families there they have thicker blood and they they their blood clots okay uh, so this makes sense that this could uh, this would be hereditary. But regarding uh, but regarding um, the death of these husbands, what does that have to do with another? I mean, we're not suspecting that this uh, wife is actually a killer wife and she's she's murdering one husband after the other, right? We're not talking about that. So what what kind of uh, what kind of problem would this be? So, in fact, we have two opinions to answer this. Rabuna says Ma'ayan. It's uh, it's uh, her uh, spring, uh, a reference to uh, her, her her privates. In other words, this is uh, an STD, and that's why it's a deadly, lethal one. So, anyone who has relations with her uh, will acquire this disease and die. So, yes, it is in fact. Uh, therefore, um, a, a natural biological reason for this. Rav says, no, it's, um, it's a metaphysical one. It's luck. The constellation that she's born under, uh, astrologically, um, she is just a bad luck woman. And anyone married to her will have this problem. My Ben, there will be a practical difference between those two opinions. There'll be a difference if someone only did Kiddushin with her. So they never had Bi'ah. And therefore, if it was an STD problem, then you wouldn't count that. He's not called one of the guys who dies. Uh, or if he happened to fall off a palm tree and died, then also that's not because of an STD that he fell off out of a tree. But um, both of these could be uh, reasons for him to die if it's because of her bad luck, that because he is engaged to her or um, uh, or even uh, or married, but he, he, he died from falling off a tree, not from other, some other uh, type of disease. So then we would count that guy as one of the guys um, in a, that would create a series. Uh, so if uh, someone was married to... Um, uh, two or three men, and uh, only only Kiddushin, or they all died from some uh, violent death, um, according to the one that says Mazal, then no one else should marry her. Bad luck. But according to the one who says, that's an STD, these people never got an STD. It was not because of Bi'ah. 
and so she uh, uh, next person would be uh, permitted to marry her. So great story here, Rav Yosef, the son of Rava, told Rava. Says I once asked, I once asked Rav Yosef, does the halacha follow the B that says only two times? That's what we're establishing after all that. The B is the one, as we said in the first Baraita, who says two strikes only. And Vamardini says, yes, halacha is like Rabbi. And then, I don't know, for some reason he asked further, halacha kerabban shimon ben gamliel, Vamardin. Okay, is the halacha like Rashbag after three strikes? And he said, yes. So, what was he mocking me? Right? He was making fun of me. He says yes to everything. You know, you're right. And you're right. How could they both be right? You're right too. Right? What kind of, was this a joke? So, Rav explained it to him, to his son. He says, no. The problem is we have various anonymous Mishnayot. And some of them follow Rabbi, some of them follow Rashbag, depending on the issue at hand. And so that's why he said, yes, sometimes we follow Halakha follows Rabbi, sometimes Halakha follows Rashbag. Um, and now he explained it to him. Which cases do we follow? Which When it comes to marriage, uh, and giving lashes, we have only a precedent of two, like Rabbi. Whereas regarding um, uh, 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 setting patterns for a nida, and uh, when an ox is considered a forewarned ox, there we follow the pattern uh, after three times, like Rashbag. Let's explain each case. Nisuin hadamaran. Nisuin, we already talked about. If you have this killer woman, um, then after only two times, uh, the third one should not marry her. Malkiot, lashes, ditnan, mishalaka, veshana, betin, konsino, tolechipa. We have, this is a mishnah um, uh, that says, if someone was given lashes for doing some kind of uh, sin, and then he went and did that very same sin again, and now this time, betin says what? A repeat offender. Um, so if he does that twice, we give him lashes again. After that, he only gets two chances. If he does it a third time, he doesn't get lashes, but rather we put him into a prison. And they feed him barley, and then they wait till the barley expands, he drinks some water, and then he explodes from the inside. So we can't give him capital punishment directly and uh, you know hang him or anything because he didn't do something that is worthy of a capital punishment. But instead, we use this indirect capital punishment because uh, we know if we just um, give him lashes again, he's just going uh, to do, do, do it again. And so for that, uh, we are strict and say we only allow lashes two times, third time out. Okay, visatot detanan en ha'isha kovat la veset achetik be'ayna shalosh pe'amim. Okay, regarding... Uh, patterns for Nida. So here is also a Mishnah, um, but now we follow the Shpag that says three times. A woman establishes her pattern only after three times. In other words, let's say she became becomes Nida on the fifth of this month, and the fifth of the next month, and the fifth of the month after that. Now you see she has a regular pattern, and therefore she will expect to become Nida on the fifth month every month after that. And because of that, during that time period, she has to refrain from being with her husband because she's gonna she can expect that she'll become Teme'ah. 
Uh, and similarly, once you establish a pattern, you can only undo the pattern if, if three months in a row, she does not get become nida on the fifth. And so after three months of not, then you that erases the previous pattern. So in these cases, you need three and then only the one after that. Um, also regarding an ox, if it gores once, twice, even three times, uh, even after two times, it's called a shortam. Um, and so if, when it goes on the third time, so you don't have to pay half still. Only after it gores three times, if it should gore a fourth time, then... Um, it becomes a short mu'ad. And so for those two laws, we followed Ashbag, and that's why indeed the lacha is both like Rabbi in two cases and like Rashbag in the other two cases. Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.